to continue this week our series, The Truth Amplified, looking at the life and miracles of Jesus and what Jesus chose to amplify. And one of the things that I think sometimes we, uh, we kind of miss is Jesus is going to deal with people where they are and with who they are. So he may speak to you differently than he speaks to somebody else. He may handle a situation in your life completely different than he does somebody else. And we as people, what do we often do in those situations? God, why don't you, you know, I, I want that. And we kind of get so focused on what's happening with other people that we stop listening to what God is doing in our own lives. Trust me, God is working in your life as much as he's working in somebody else's. It just looks different. Because he's going to speak the language that you or I need to hear to learn and grow and become the person he wants us to be. Amen. Now, many times, the person he wants us to be and the person we want to be, they don't quite line up, you know, especially early. And so sometimes what he's doing in our lives, we just, we don't get it. We don't understand it. We're, we're like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why is this happening? And, and we may even be hearing teaching, as we're going to see today. We may hear all kinds of teaching about God, and we're like, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I, I hear it, but it, it hasn't really impacted us yet. And we're kind of wondering, like, am I missing something? Well, you may not be missing something. You just may be on a little different journey, a little different process. And so this morning, we're going to look in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, at Jesus, Lord of the sinner and the sick. Because we're going to see two different people that Jesus interacts with in very different ways that ultimately end up having the same result at the end. But how he interacts with them amplifies, it shows where they are and how Jesus handles that. And so, look with me in Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. And it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So these were the guys in the other boat who had to come help. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will 
be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So we want to start out. We look at two people here. We look at Peter and, and his calling to be one of his disciples, but there's a miracle that happens, and then we see the leper who comes to him. And I want to ask you a question here to start. Whose condition was worse? You see, I know we would naturally look and like, well, obviously the leper, I mean, his, you know, body's falling apart. He's sick. He's dying. He's desperate. But is he really? Now, I want you to think of those words. And I want you to think of last week when we mentioned John 1, 4 through 5. It said, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If Jesus is the light, then that means he's going to shine to everybody in a light that is going to draw them, is going to impact them. You see, in this one, one is terminally ill spiritually, and one is terminally ill physically. Who's in the worst condition? You see, one does not know about his condition until after seeing a miracle, and the other knows about his condition and is seeking a miracle. One comes to faith because of a miracle. One comes in faith seeking a miracle. One has learned the truth. The other comes already having a knowledge of the truth. Both fall before the feet of Jesus. Both of their lives change after falling at the feet of Jesus. So let's talk about Peter first. Okay, who is Peter? Because Peter, like, you know, how many of y'all like Peter? You know, like, you're like, he's my guy. I know some of you identify with Peter. You're like, yes, yeah, speak first, clean up the mess later. You know, needs done, I'm in it. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'll do it. You know, that, that's Peter. Now, Peter was a fisherman by trade. Now, when we say fisherman by trade in first century Galilee, this, he did not choose this profession. It chose him. Okay, this was the family profession. Now, also... It's important to know the reason he's a fisherman is because at some point he basically flunked out of rabbinical school. Okay, they would always take the best of the best and go to the next level. And so the smartest, the brightest, the, those who, who could know the scripture the best, they were the ones that continued on in their rabbinical school and would become rabbis or Pharisees or these things. And so at some point, somebody looked at Peter and said, you're not good enough. Go to the family business because you're not good enough to serve God. Okay? Now, he does not immediately believe in Jesus, but his brother Andrew comes to him in John 1, 41 and 42 and says, come see, we have found the Messiah. Now, again, to say that in first century you know, Jewish world, we found the Messiah. That is no small thing. You didn't just apply that title at will. This was something special. So Andrew's saying, hey, you know that thing we studied back in rabbi school before we both flunked out that talked about the Messiah is coming. This guy's him. I found him. We found him. You have to come listen to this guy teach. So he does. He goes. He hears him 
several times. He hears him teach, and he does not immediately believe in Jesus. Now, does he hear something in the teaching that probably speaks to him? Yeah, he's probably like, okay, yeah, this is different. This is interesting. And he is a part of a group that is seeking. Okay, they are seeking truth. They are seeking God. His brother Andrew and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Okay, you read about them. The Gospel of John, written by John. But he has to walk in some obedience before his eyes are opened. Now, how many of you in here have been taught that you have to believe in order to obey? We hear that a lot. You know, it, 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 God, I need to understand what's going on and, and teach me. And, and when I believe, then I, you know, then I can obey. Sometimes God does that backwards with us. And he says, I need you to take some steps of faith, even though you have no idea what you're doing. And I'm not even going to explain it to you. I'm just going to tell you to do this. So let's read again what he did with Peter. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, so he's, he's teaching the masses, kind of the people are there, they're at the shore of the lake, the people just kind of keep crowding in. We would know nothing about that in today's culture, right? You know, people in the kind of rock star status, and like, hey, I want to be there close, and you know, they're pressing in, and he's like, okay, this isn't going to work. And he sees Peter and Andrew and James and John, their boats, they've come up, and they're done, they've been fishing all night long. And they're washing their nets, so this is, this is their work, they're done, they're cleaning up for the, you know, the time, nothing happened. And he sees the boat, and he's like, hey, can I get in your boat? He gets in the boat, and they kind of go out into the water just a little bit, so now he can teach without people trampling him. Okay? And so verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now this is important, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. How many of you like going back to work right when you leave work? <laughs> For a guy you don't know, that you've heard he's the Messiah, you don't know, and, and you just finished washing your nets. Now, washing your nets, this is not an easy thing. I mean, this is, this is hard labor, okay? And, you know, if he's a fisherman like I'm a fisherman, I can see he caught nothing, okay? That's just how that works. And then he said, no, go ahead and try again. Go back out there. So what does that mean? That means get the nets ready again. That means row back out to the middle of the lake. That means put all the effort in that you just did. And he's like, why? Why? You see, God's will will often make no sense to us and will even strike a nerve that is uncomfortable early on. And if we make God all about good feelings, if we make God all about life being good and, and us overcoming everything and always winning and, and never struggling, and if we turn faith into something that is always this positive in life and we have no room for mystery or struggle or even sacrifice, God is never going to make sense to you. And you will always be disappointed. You will live your life disappointed in God. Because he won't jump through your hoops. But here, it's amazing. He says, hey, go back out to the deep. Row back out there and throw the nets down one more time. And he tells them, he says, Master, I, I'm tired. I just did this all night and didn't catch anything. But because it's you. And to me... It, it, it's amazing. Because it's you, I'll do it. 
just for you. Do you think maybe there's a little sarcasm in that? And if you, oh, because it's you, you're the Messiah, so I'll do this. Everybody believes you're the Messiah right here. But he does it. And I, I love this because the most life-changing moment of Peter's life was born of a moment of begrudging obedience. He didn't want to do it. It didn't make sense to him. And yet he does it. And when he does, everything in his life changes. You see, sometimes... We have to do what God tells us regardless of how tired, how frustrated, how disappointed, or how much we don't understand. Because life always lives on the other side of obedience to God. Nobody will regret obeying God. How many times in your life are you going to look and say, you know, God, I think God told me to do this and I didn't do it and I still regret it. How many times have you thought, God told me to do this, and, you know, I wasn't sure, and I didn't want to at the time, but I went ahead and did it. How many of you can look back and like, yeah, I wish I hadn't? Nobody. See, we never regret taking that step with God, even if we were all kind of all messed up inside about it, because Peter was not happy about going back out there. Okay, he was not happy about this, and it is, because it's you, I'll do it. And yet, when he did, what happens? And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat, James and John, to come and help them. And they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Whoa. Suddenly they had more than they knew what to do with. You see, a miraculous catch of fish, probably something Peter had dreamed about, that would happen over and over as he struggled in this trying to just make a living. You think of those hours of throwing the nets down and waiting, thinking, oh, I just, you know, maybe just a school of it. Just, just today, God, can I get one big catch? Or maybe it's a situation where he's like, you know what? If we just, you know, this, this huge catch, we could make enough that I could get out of this business and do something else with my life. God, let that happen. God, let that, I, I, I want out of this. I want to serve you, but I, I'm stuck here in the family. Maybe, God, if we could just make enough to move on. And it hasn't happened. And in fact, what has happened? It's been the opposite. You know, he's catching nothing. And sometimes what we think is an insignificant act of obedience turns out to be the key that unlocks the door of faith. And I mean that. Sometimes we look at it and we're like, God, really, this doesn't make sense. You don't know what God knows. And when God tells us to do something, there's a reason. And you know what? That reason may not materialize for years sometimes. It may take quite the journey to get there. Peter still doesn't understand what's waiting him, waiting for him. But his life has changed. But the reaction is what's most telling here. Does Peter celebrate with James and John? Are they high-fiving each other at the awesome catch that they just had and that this moment that they've maybe dreamed of is now a reality? What happens? Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Hmm. Something else is happening here. Depart from me for I am a sinful man. His eyes were just open to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And all of a sudden, everything he knows about his own life comes into focus. And he's like, I'm not walking with God. I'm not walking with God. And, he, and he, he's scared. And this is, look, this is the natural response to a sinful person encountering a holy God for the first time. Okay, when our eyes are open for the first time that God is truly holy, that who Jesus is, it is not celebration, it's fear. And I love this, where are they? They're out in the middle of a lake, Peter's got nowhere to go. He can't hide, he can't talk his way out of it, he can't be like, oh, you know, it's time to get home, my wife, I know, you know, it's dinner time, it's breakfast time, it's been all night, breakfast time, I gotta go. He's got nowhere to go. He is stuck in the middle of the lake. You think Jesus didn't know what he was doing? <laughs> he is stuck out there. And so he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So now this isn't just involving Simon. Now we've got Andrew, his brother, who's there. We've got James and John, who are his business partners involved in this. Look at what one act of obedience has done already. Two families are now impacted because they did what Jesus said. Did Jesus say, hey, if you'll go out there, I promise some kind of blessing is coming? And it's going to impact your whole world. So I, I really would like it if you just rode out there and, and fished because something awesome is going to happen to you. Did you tell me? He said, no. He said, just do it. Just go. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. See, Peter confesses he is a sinner, confesses his unworthiness, and finds new life in rebirth with Jesus, who now has offered him grace. But before, he had to offer him truth. You see, we said Jesus, he is full of what? Grace and truth. To the sinner. You see, the problem with the difference between the sinner and we're about to get to the sick is the sick know they're sick. The sinner often doesn't know they're a sinner. The sinner often doesn't know how bad their situation actually is before God. They think they're okay. Peter thought he was okay until he realized he wasn't. And when he found out, he falls before him and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm not worthy. I'm sinful. And what does Jesus do? Now he's broken. He offers him grace. Don't be afraid. See, this is how he has it. Now, let's contrast that with the leper. Okay, because I asked whose situation was worse. Verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What is this statement? This is a statement of faith. He already believes. And this isn't just desperation. Talk. Is the man desperate? Yes, he is. He's looking, you know, he's probably tried everything. I mean, leprosy was a death sentence, a slow death sentence back then. And he's probably tried everything he can. He's probably prayed over and over. He's done everything. But whatever's happened, he has heard Jesus. He's seen Jesus. Maybe he heard about the miraculous catch of fish. I don't know. We don't know his faith journey. 
But whatever it is, he comes to Jesus with the full knowledge that Jesus can help him. The only thing he's wondering is, will he? He's broken. And does this man need more truth? No. Does Jesus teach him something before? No. Actually, he teaches him, but what does he say? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, which, again, let's not lose that point. This man had leprosy. What did everybody do with a person with leprosy around? They start yelling, unclean, and they get away from me. And if you don't, I'm going to start throwing stones at you. I'll stone you to death if you get too close. And that was literally that because that is so contagious that for Jesus to intentionally reach his hand out to this diseased, broken man, what is that? Jesus says, well, he says, I, I got you. Jesus wasn't afraid of him. Jesus wasn't repulsed by him. Jesus reached his hand out to him and welcomed him. Because look, human touch matters. And this man probably, it says full of leprosy, so it's at a point he can't hide it anymore. Okay, his face, I mean, so this is bad. This is a bad situation. It's a point he can't hide it. So this man has probably not felt human warmth and compassion and even human touch in months. In months. He's just been told, get away, stay away. Don't touch. You stay out there in the outskirts of the city. And so the first thing Jesus does is reach out and touch him. And he says, what does he say? He says, Lord, if you will, you can make clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You see, this man came in faith. He knew who Jesus was. He knew Jesus could. He just had to ask, will you actually heal me? I know you can. Will you? See, this is the picture of a broken person who simply needs grace. And what we have is the proud, the sinner, needs truth. The broken, the sick, needs grace. Now, what we see in both of them is that they both submit themselves to Jesus. Because without submission, faith is impossible. Okay? Without submission, faith is impossible. Peter was willing to go back out to the deep part of the lake. And I know that sounds weird, but he submitted to Jesus in that moment. As innocuous as it seems, as random as it was, he obeyed the words of Jesus and faith was the result of it. It led to a domino effect of things that were going to happen that opened his eyes to the truth. The leper submitted his desperate situation to Jesus. He came and fell before him and said, look, you're my, you're my only hope. This is the picture of faith. Before we can be conquerors, we must die to self. We've got to die to ourselves. And that's what Jesus meant by this when he said, if any man would come after me, would be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow we have to submit our lives to him and say, look, I'm yours. I'm yours. And if we need more truth to get us there, then that means he's going to have to convince us of the sin problem in our lives. 
Now, is it to, to beat on us and condemn us? No. It's just the problem is, is if we don't understand our sin problem and submit it to God for forgiveness, we won't submit ourselves to God. We'll keep trying to steer the ship ourselves. And so listen again to what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, he's not talking about martyrdom right there. He doesn't say you have to die for him physically. He's saying you have to submit your life to him. If you do that, you find life. If you don't, what does he say? He says you'll lose it. Whoever would save his life, if we hold it to ourselves, and I'm the master of my domain, and I'm going, I am my own person, and nobody tells me what to do, we lose the very life we're trying to save. And he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, we have this war that we are in, and it's not the war that we think it is. It's the war with ourselves. We put ourselves at odds with God through our sin, through our own desire. And so Peter tells it this way in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We all have desires that are not just contrary to God. They're contrary to who God made us to be. You see, the soul, this is often misunderstood, okay? Soul and spirit are different things. We are Trinitarian in nature just as God is. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one God, all co-equal, all co-eternal. Yes, it doesn't make sense. That's okay. We're talking about Almighty God and we're, you know, who's infinite. We're finite. But we, too, are Trinitarian in nature because we're made in his image, which means we are body, soul, and spirit. Body, we got no problem with. Spirit, we often confuse with soul. Think of spirit as the animating force. That's your life, okay? What is your soul? Your soul is your identity. It's what's unique. It's what's absolutely unique. It's what makes you, you. It's when, when God was forming you, Okay, when God's idea of you came to being and how he wanted you to be, the personality he gave you, everything about you that is completely unique, that makes you, you, that is what he put into your soul. And what does he say here, Peter? Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We all have these desires and passions within us that are self-destructive. They work against us. Now, what does Jesus do? He works for us. Amen. He wants us to have the soul that is saved and is connected back with God and is the person that you were created to be and recreated to be if you're born again. See, that old person kind of dies because of sin, and that's why we have to submit that to God because then he brings the soul back to life again as a recreation. That's what baptism symbolizes. We died, we come back up again, and we are a new creation in Christ. And that is the soul. It's not just save your soul. It is become who God wants you to be. That's why we at Grace Fellowship focus on what are we becoming. 
Because we're either becoming the person God wants us to be or we're becoming something we're not supposed to be. It's one way or the other. There is no middle ground here. And so we have to adopt this idea, this, this mindset that agrees with what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, 8. He says, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Now, some of your translations say renown. Your name and your renown. But, but this idea of remembrance is that that's what I'm going to go back to. What's important to me is who God is. That's the desire of my heart. And when we get to that point, we know who we are, we know why we are, and we know what we're doing. And what did Peter find out? Jesus, he falls before him and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. You will be a fisher of men. What's that? New identity, new calling, new purpose in life. And he does get to walk away from that old life, that old self. That's what God does. He restores the soul, the person. This isn't just about, you know, checking the box. Is God happy with me or not? This is reconnecting at the very core of your being with who he is and who he created you to be. Because we forget that. And I mean that. We forget who we are. If we truly had a knowledge of who we are, of how we're created in his image, and that we are called not only to glorify him, but to also subdue the earth, as he said. Like he wants us to create. He wants us to succeed. But it's got to glorify him. It's got to be his name, his renown, that these accomplishments glorify, not us. Everything we should do should be pointing more upward than it is outward. The problem is that when we don't glorify him, not only do we point outward, we start to point downward. It starts to get worse and worse and worse of what we do. And, and so what we have is a picture here of the proud and the humble coming to faith in Christ. Because the, the leper was already humble. You see, he didn't need any more truth. Peter's already heard sermon after sermon after sermon, and it's when he sees the miracle that suddenly his eyes are open. He's like, oh my goodness, I am in trouble. Guess what? Leper already knew he was in trouble. He already knew that. He didn't need to be humbled any further. He didn't need any more truth. He just needed the touch of Jesus Christ in his life. And here is the truth. There are a lot of broken people in this world that don't need another sermon just need Jesus. They just need grace. And we who know him are the ones that got to share that grace with them. Now, the proud, yes, they need, they need more sermon. <laughs> they, they need more truth. Because that's what God does. He, he, he keeps hammering the truth towards us until we finally listen to it. And when it does, when we do, it breaks us brings us to our knees before him, and then what does he say? He says, hey, don't be afraid. I didn't do that to hurt you. I want to restore you. But it's got to be my way. See, God is not going to compromise that. 
And this is the big hang-up in today's world right now. Okay, this is what I see culturally. This is what I see happening in churches that, that shouldn't be happening is people are trying to say that Jesus wants to affirm you. Look, Jesus don't want to affirm you. He wants to save you. Okay, there's a difference. People say Jesus hung out with sinners. He did. And guess who changed? It was the sinners who changed, not Jesus. Not once did Jesus come to any person that was in sin and say, you know what? Don't worry about what you're doing. It's okay. I affirm your life choices. What did he do? He showed them the truth so that they repented and turned and followed him. Now, did he condemn them and guilt them and shame them? No. But he still showed them the truth. We don't get to call the shots when it comes to God. We have to submit to his truth, and he will not compromise that. He never has. He never will. But that doesn't mean that he's mean. That doesn't mean that he's hateful. That doesn't mean he's out to get you. That just means that we're wrong, he's right, and he has to convince us of that. And when he does, what does he do? He gives us new life. He gives us new life. That's it. He, he told Peter, he says, don't be afraid. Was Peter rightfully afraid? Yes. He was. But as God always does in Scripture... When we come to that realization, he welcomes us with open arms then. Because in his kingdom, God will welcome both the proud and the humble, the sinner and the sick. He will welcome both. And so I want to ask you this question today. And this is a hard one. Do you need humble or do you need grace? Now, this isn't a one-time thing. Yes, when you accept Christ and you're born again, that's the major moment of, yes, I've got to humble myself before him, confess that I'm a sinner, be born again, okay, and, and give my life to him. But look, even as a Christian, even as a person walking, trying to walk with God and walking with God, we will run up against these moments where we're like, oh, but God, I really kind of like it like this. And God's like, mm, no, I need you to submit that to me. And if you don't, I'm going to keep dishing the truth on you until it breaks you. Who in here has gone through that? Let's just have a moment of honesty. That we dig in, you know, we, we do. We start white knuckling it and we're just like, no, God, I'm not. I No, I'm not. And he's like, oh, you will. How long will it take? And then we look back and we're like, why did I feel? I know God loves me, and I know his way. Why would I fight so hard on that? You know why? Because we want to be in control. We don't like dying to self. That's not fun. But it is necessary. And so we often have to ask ourselves, do I need humble? Am I, am I asserting myself here, or am I broken enough that God's grace can now heal me. Which do I need in life? Because Jesus is the light of men and is full of grace and truth. Truth will break the hard heart and grace will heal the broken heart. Where are you? 
Peter was unaware of how lost he was until he saw the truth of Jesus on display in the miraculous catch of fish. The truth broke his heart and led him to submit to Jesus. There are a lot of people in the world today with hard hearts who think they're good people, who think they're all right. They think they're walking with God. They, they're, 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 they're white knuckling as hard as they can in this. But they've not yet experienced the truth that opens their eyes so that they fall before Jesus saying, I am a sinful person. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. God, I need your mercy because without it, I am lost. The leper was broken and needed grace. He came to Jesus in faith, fell before him, and found the grace he desperately needed. Listen, if you're here today and you're broken and you're hurt and you just don't know what life is, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know the direction. I don't know. I just know I need something. I need, I need more. I need different. You, you know, you just can't seem to put your hand on it, but you just know you've tried and you're just worn out. You need grace. You know what grace is? It's the fact that God loves you, sent his son to die for you, and if you put your faith in him, you will be born again. And he will give you new life. It's not about trying harder, working harder. It's about giving it up to God and letting him have control of your life. When you do that, his spirit fills you. Your soul comes back to life. And you know who you are. And you know why you live. You know why you're doing what you're doing. And you find peace with God. You see, too many broken people are looking to false gods that provide no grace. They don't provide life. They don't provide grace. They just take more of what's already broken. They just demand more of what's already tired. They just judge more of what's already been condemned. Where are you today? Do you need more truth? Or do you need grace? The good news is that Jesus is Lord both of the sinner and the saved. Go to Jesus and you will find what Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I just I thank you for everybody here. And Lord, wherever we are in our hearts right now, God, whether we're, we're prideful or, or broken or somewhere in between, God, I, I pray that you bring us to that place where we would fall before you and confess you as Lord and find life. God, where there's hurt, I pray you bring healing. Where there's pride, bring humility. Where there's confusion, bring clarity. Lord Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through you. God, help us to rest in your love that you showed us through Jesus on the cross. Help us to be excited about the power you showed us at the resurrection. And help us to walk in your Lordship that is on display right now as you are seated at the right hand of the Father. God, I pray for each person here and each family represented, God, that you would draw us nearer to you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Amen.